Welcome to the Wealth Studying Podcast. This is episode 265. Today is May 29th, 2018. I'm your host, John Pagliano. I'm also the founder and money manager at investablewealth.com. Well, summer is almost upon us. The markets remain very volatile. There's a whole lot going on in the world. But in today's episode, other than just giving you a brief little rundown on what I think is happening in the markets, just a small market review, I really want to focus on a a book I want to recommend to you for summer reading. Now, this is not my book, obviously. My book is a brilliant book. The Robots Are Coming. You should have read it by now. If you haven't, then definitely read it over the summer. But as we get into this episode today, I do want to recommend to you a book that I consider one of the top investing books and something that anybody that's really serious about trading stocks should read. We'll get into that in a minute. Before we do, I do want to mention, and this is a a very time-sensitive notice I want to put out here, I do have an upcoming trip to the San Francisco Bay Area. I'll be there in early June, which is just a few days away. And I wanted to publicly announce that because I've heard from a lot of people that say, hey, John, you're doing all this traveling. You'll tell us about it when you get back. You really haven't done any well-steading meetups in a long time. It's true we haven't done any well-steading meetups for a long, long time. Generally, as I've been traveling, my schedule is full and I just haven't had time to, to meet with listeners. However, on this upcoming trip to San Francisco, I do have a little bit of downtime and I realize this is really short notice. But if you're hearing this before the first week in June of 2018, do get in touch with me at wellsteading.com. If you're interested in in having a meetup or something, if we have some interest, I'll see what I can do to put it together. Just a group of like-minded wellsteading people is very informal. You get to meet me, answer your questions. I can autograph a book for you if, if you bring one along. Again, I realize this is real short notice. It may not work out, but if you're in the San Francisco Bay Area, and you'd like to meet me, well, let me know. We'll see what we can put together. Now, before we get into the main part of the podcast and I talk about the uh, summer reading book recommendation, I do want to do a quick market update. As I record this in the afternoon of May 29th, 2018, the markets are again in turmoil. The S&P 500 is down about a percent and a half today, and the latest boogeyman, the crisis du jour, is all about the debt crisis in Italy and the political instability there and the possibility that they may have a referendum to pull out of the European Union, you know, yada, yada, yada. This is just, in my opinion, another boogeyman that's spooking the market. And while I do agree, and you've heard me talk many times, that there are major problems in Southern Europe, and in particular Italy, I think the European Union is fighting for its survival. I don't think they ever thought that England would break off And now that they've been fighting that battle for a couple years and they see how unstable their union really is, they're going to fight and do everything they can, particularly over the short term, to keep Italy in the European Union fold. They also don't want a default or uh, any type of bankruptcy with the financial institutions in Italy because all that bad debt is not specific to Italy. For example, Deutsche Bank. Other German and French banks have a lot of interest, a lot of underwriting of all that bad Italian debt. So the bureaucrats in the European Union not only have the political future to worry about, but they also have a lot of money that's tied up in Italy. They don't want to lose it. And so I think short term, they're going to do whatever they have to do to get through this current Italian crisis, to shore things up, and to keep Italy not only from defaulting or having a bad credit rating, to also staying in the European Union. Now, long-term, 
I don't think it's going to work out. As you've heard me say for many years now, I think eventually the European Union is doomed to failure. It's a system that's based on a monetary union without the corresponding rule of law and legislature to back that up. It's a mishmash of a bunch of different cultures that are very unique. And as much as they try and build a European community, the fact of the matter is, is that there's just thousands of years of individual identity in these member countries. I don't think they want to give up their sovereignty. And in terms of sovereignty, these are also countries that we've seen go to war over the drop of the hat. And this is not just over the last century where we had two major world wars, but going back thousands of years, these countries and little fiefdoms and kingdoms have always been at battle. They've always been at war. And I don't think the Kumbaya Charter of the European Union is going to take that out of these people's DNA. So eventually, yes, I do think the European Union disintegrates. If you go back, I think to, I don't know, last year, maybe even 2016, I did a big episode on that. I think it was called The Problem with the EU or something like that. You can go look it up if you're interested. But for right now, I don't see the European Union falling apart this year. There's too much at stake. There's too many bureaucrats that would have too much to lose. They're already keyed up to play very strong offense and defense because of the Brexit. So as far as this current Italian crisis, I suspect it'll blow over in a week or two, just like all the other crises du jours have in fact petered out over the last four months. Over at my YouTube channel, as I have time, I keep trying to put up little, uh, little tidbits about why I remain so bullish on this economy. I've put up things about why I don't think we're in a recession and this is going back even, I don't know, nine or 10 months ago where I actually put up a video that was called, Are We Going in a Recession or something like that. Then I talked about the unemployment rate. Uh, more recently, uh, a month or so ago, I put up a video about how houses and real estate prices are, are continuing to go up. A couple weeks ago, I did a video where I compared you know, some of the things that we're seeing with the Trump administration as to whether Trump would be forced to resign or whether he'd be impeached. I compared that to what happened back in the 1970s with Nixon. I'm putting up these things to, to drive the case as to why I believe, although there's a lot of instability out there, fundamentally things are still sound and this market is going to bounce back. And I do believe sometime between now and the end of the year, we are still going to see at least 3,000 points in the S&P 500. And that is going to be with interest rates at 3% or thereabouts. When you combine stable growth across the globe with interest rates that are starting to become more normal, interest rates where we can start getting paid for when we park our, our money temporarily in cash, I see that as a good thing for investors, not a bad thing, not a negative. And so as I find time, I'll try and put a, a few more videos up on YouTube that express my thoughts on why this economy is sound. And I'll try and compare that, you know, visually with things that you can see versus just trying to talk to you in, in this format on the, the full length audio versions of the Well Setting Podcast. Do remember that my content is different. This podcast is about the, the spoken word. It's where I can talk to you about what I'm doing, what I'm seeing. It's meant to be more conversational. I know many of you just listen to it when you're uh, doing your commutes. So I try and keep things on a more verbal basis where you don't have to look at a specific chart to understand what I'm talking about. If I think something can be addressed in a shorter time frame and needs some type of a visual backup for it, that's when I create a video and put it over at the YouTube channel. And then, of course, the blog post over at investablewealth.com. You know, over the years, that's really evolved to really where I just put out 
special notices where I want to show a chart or a graph about a specific thing happening in the markets that's taking place right then. And then it's also where I can notify you of when I buy or sell something in my, in my model portfolio. Now, just to finish up on, on a quick market review here, and one of the reasons I do remain optimistic about this market, despite all the scary things you keep hearing in the news over the last four months, if you look at the performance of the S&P 500 over these past four months where we've had this pullback, and if you just listen to the talking heads on TV, you would think we are in a full-fledged bear market where everything is down 25% or more and we're headed to you know, some type of economic collapse. Well, that's simply not the case. We have had a really good, healthy correction, and it hasn't even been that steep of a correction. But even with the prices pulling back, do you realize that over these last four months, the S&P 500 has held to its 200-day moving average. That is a critical technical indicator that we want to keep our eye on. And that 200-day moving average has not yet flattened out and it has not turned down. It continues to point up. Now, it's not pointing up as steep as it had, but it is continuing to move up. Now, the next level of support has been at the 100-day moving average. And while that 100-day moving average has been breached about four or five times over these past four months. The fact of the matter is, is that the price of the S&P 500 is hovering around that 100-day moving average. Even right now today, with this latest crisis of what's going on in Italy and the market being down, you know, one and a half percent, the S&P 500 is just slightly below its 100-day moving average. Now, I know I'm getting down the weeds here. I'm talking about graphs and charts and things that you can't see. And that's why it's a good idea from time to time to check out the YouTube channel or what I'm doing over at investablewealth.com to get that visual impact. So you might just have to trust me on this one. And I'm going to cut it short so I don't put you all to sleep. But when I look at a chart at the S&P 500, I see it consolidating and stabilizing around that 100-day moving average. And that means only one of two things. Because markets can only do one of three. They either go up, they go down, or they stay the same. And they don't stay the same forever or for long. The markets are usually going up or they're coming down. Well, I remain confident that this market is more likely to go up than to go down because over these past four months, no matter how negative or bad the news was, no matter what type of boogeyman materialized, the S&P 500 has held to its 200-day moving average. And now with it consolidating and finding a staging area around its 100-day moving average and, and staying there so long over these past three or four months and knowing that the market can really only either stay the same or go up and down and it rarely stays the same, that tells me in the near future we are either going to break up or break down. And I don't see us breaking down because of the fundamental strength of the overall global economy unless some really large external surprise factor comes in. Because the way I look at the numbers, I see that the overall global fundamentals are not deteriorating. Oh, they're not growing as fast as they might have been. But we remain in this Goldilocks economy where there's a very equal tug of war between producers and consumers and neither one has the upper hand. So for all intents and purposes, the global economy for now is in harmony. It's in sync. I don't know how long that'll last. But for right now, when I ignore the headlines and I dig down into the numbers and the details, that's what I see. And so I remain confident and I look at these dips in the market as an opportunity to buy, not a time to panic. Well, there you have it. That's my thoughts on where this market is. 
Let's move on to today's main topic of this episode, and that's where I want to recommend a book to you, particularly for those of you that want to kind of relax over the summer and do a little bit of reading. And so I think it's very readable, but the one caveat I will say is that this book was written almost 100 years ago. So while it is very easy to read, you have to put yourself in the time frame of when it was written, which is like 19, I don't know, 21, 1922. And so the language and the culture and the references that are made in the book, you know, as a story unwinds, they take place a long way back in history. So that's one caveat, but here's the deal. Here's the book. It's called Reminiscence of a Stock Operator, and it is kind of the the quasi-biography of a man named Jesse Livermore. Now, Jesse's name never appears in the book because the author of the book wanted to put this together uh, where he gave Jesse enough cover to where you knew it was about him, but to minimize the, uh, you know, what do they say, to, to protect the innocent, he didn't specifically use real names. So the main character, the protagonist of the book, is not named Jesse Livermore, but for our purposes, that's who you can read between the lines and know who it's about. Now, who is this Jesse Livermore guy, and why would you want to spend your summer reading a book about him? Well, Jesse Livermore is regarded as one of the most successful investors of all times. And while it could be debatable that he's the most successful because a guy like Warren Buffett has a higher net worth, Jesse was certainly the first documented trader that had this type of success. And the reason I'm recommending the book to you, and again, specifically, this is for people that really want to get into trading stocks. From time to time, I've talked about this one, but I do tend to shy away from it because some people read it and they're disappointed. And again, they're disappointed because they're looking for a silver bullet approach that can tell them, you know, do X, Y, and Z, and this is the formula, and this is how you can kind of day trade, and this is how you make money, and yada, yada, yada. Well, I don't think those books really exist. I think the books that make you successful, whether you're successful in the stock market or in business or in your own personal life, they're not formulaic books that tell you do A, B, and C. But what these books do is they inspire you to, you know, be both introspective where you learn to think on your own and understand who you are and then help you look at the world and be an observer of the world and understand where you and your talents and abilities fit into the external world. And while that may sound a little esoteric, I really believe it's true. It's how I tried to write my book about automation and robotics. You know, it wasn't so much about specifically what's happening in the future because none of us really knows what's going to happen in the future but it was about teaching you or at least encouraging you how to think and then that way by having that cognitive ability regardless of what happens in the future you'll be able to react to it and specifically react to it in a way that's beneficial for you and your unique talents and abilities and so when people ask me about what investing book they should read or book they can read to teach them about the stock market It's really hard to say because while there are thousands of books out there, it really all depends on how you personally learn. It also depends on what you're comfortable with. And so there isn't one method or one book that's going to tell you everything. It's much like a a diet. It's a lifestyle. And you're not going to lose weight on a diet unless you change your lifestyle. And you're not going to change your lifestyle unless it's conducive to your own DNA. I mean, I can tell you, You know, go on this low-carb diet and just eat bacon and you lose weight. But if you hate eating bacon, you're not going to be successful on that diet because it doesn't fit your DNA. It doesn't fit your lifestyle. The same is true of investing strategies. 
Just because something works for Paul Tudor Jones doesn't mean it's going to work for you. Or just because Peter Lynch wrote a best-selling book about it 30 years ago and just because he made billions of dollars using that strategy doesn't mean it, it's going to work for you because you can't follow that. And it also means that the markets have changed over these last 30 years. So there's not one simple solution. But if there were, I would tell you it's reminiscence of a stock operator because we can all learn a great deal about Jesse Livermore's life. And the beauty, the real secret, the mystery that will be revealed to you about the stock market when you read Reminiscence of a Stock Operator is the hidden underlying messages and themes of that book. It's not a particular stock strategy. That's the real secret of the book. So for those of you that want to read the book, let me give you some ideas of what you should look for as you read through the book. I'll give you some of the highlights of why I think it's so important. And then for those of you that just don't want to read the book, that's okay. Apply my thoughts as kind of like a cliff notes and uh, just take them for what they're worth and run with them. Now, one thing about Jesse Livermore and uh, specifically with this book, Reminiscence of a Stock Operator, it was written in the early 1920s, as I mentioned. That was only about 30 years into Jesse's career. And since he started at 15, yeah, that's right, he started investing when he was 15. He was still a relatively young man when this book was written, and he had a lot of years left in his career. So while some of these points I'm going to make come directly from the book, other points I'm going to make are things that are not covered in this book because they took place after it was written. I guess one other thing I should mention, too, is that this was not initially written as a book. It was done as a series of newspaper articles or interviews of Jesse Livermore. And then that's how it eventually got consolidated into the quasi-biography that it is. So bottom line here, and I think this is probably the most important idea that you can take from this book. And that's the fact that this book was written 100 years ago, or nearly 100 years ago. And I'm telling you that it is one, if not the most influ influential book that you should be reading about the stock market. So the point there is, is that nothing changes. The stock market operates on a real high-level basis exactly the same way it did 100 years ago because the stock market is not about stocks or about individual companies. It's about people. It's about human nature. And the same fear and greed that drives people today is the same fear and greed that drove people's interactions 100 years ago or 1,000 years ago. And so as you read this story and you see how this trader starts formulating his strategies and the successes and the failures that he has. Keep in mind that it doesn't matter that he's investing in old school steel stocks that no longer exist or in railroad companies. Because the things that Elon Musk does today or Bill Gates or Bezos or whoever the billionaire industrialist is, it follows very similar traits and patterns that those same robber barons did a hundred years ago. And the same thing can be said about technology. Now, in Jesse's day, all the trading off of Wall Street, all the exchanges, it was done via the telegraph because that's what they had. And you may say, well, hey, how's that relevant to today? Well, it's totally relevant. In fact, the reason I think this book is so valuable to read is that because the technology was so rudimentary, you can really understand how it works and how communications affected the upward or downward movement in a stock price. And it wasn't that instantaneous Twitter news feed that we have today. And so it's easier to see how short-term and long-term trends can emerge and how Jesse Livermore takes that information and takes the activity of, of the ticker tape and formulates a trading strategy. And if you really get into this book and you read between the lines, 
you'll be able to draw some major parallels to how that old-fashioned technology like the telegraph can be compared today to things like high-frequency trading. Now, it takes a little work to draw those conclusions, and that's why I say some people read this book and they don't think it's relevant and they don't like it. But if you're willing to put some work and effort into it, you can see these parallels, and I believe they'll really help you understand how the stock market works today because you can see it 100 years ago when the nuts and bolts of it were a lot simpler. The other thing I think that you can understand here is that as you see Jesse making money and having successful trades, He's making money without being connected to any of these wirehouses or any of these big firms. He starts trading stocks when he's 15 years old. He doesn't have any big money backers. He doesn't have a college education. And he doesn't have any more access to technology than just the regular person would. In fact, he has much less because, again, he starts out trading as just a kid, just somebody that's 15 years old. And yet, despite that, he's able to make a fortune several times over. And so again, that analogy you can draw to your life today is you can sit back and you can complain that you're not a high frequency trader or you don't have a billion dollars of a hedge fund and so you can't make any money or you can't be a successful investor. Well, if you sit around and you complain that you can't, you never will. But if you follow Jesse Livermore's lead and you start developing your own trading technique or your own investing technique and you observe and you learn and you have successes, and you have failures, and you learn from your failures, and then you have more success, that's how you build a successful portfolio. That's how you become successful at anything. It's through a series of trial and errors and education. And that's why I like this book so much, because Jesse Livermore is constantly having successes and failures. I mentioned that he made a fortune several times over. He did, and I don't know, the way I counted it, I think he went broke like five times. Now, again, this is not all in the book because the book only covers a period of maybe 25 or 30 years of his trading life. And he was actually a trader for some 45 or nearly 50 years. But over that time, over his career on Wall Street, he made a fortune and lost it like four or five times. So he has a lot of failures in there. And that's what's great about the book is you can read these and again, apply them to yourself. And hopefully they're not on the magnitude of his failures because when he wins, he wins big. But consequently, when he loses, he loses everything. Now, the other thing I really like about this book is that it shows the raw emotions of human frailties, and it really graphically illustrates corruption and insider trading and things like fear and greed and how that emotional roller coaster works when you're winning or when you're losing. And I think the bottom line of the book is that you can see that suckers always lose. And by suckers, it, that could be a professional investor or more than likely, it's the mom and pop, it's the retail investors. The suckers are the people that always come into the market too late. They either buy at the top or they sell at the bottom. And you'll see this over and over again taking place in the book. And you'll see how this also happens to Jesse and how he tries to overcome this failure cycle. The other thing that I think is relevant is that you'll see that, again, these technologies are things that take place 100 years ago. And so people are investing in railroads because, you know, that's the new technology. They're investing in steel companies because that's the big industry of the day. Well, I think by reading the book, you can remove yourself from that because you know those are not the things that you're interested in today. They're not the things that are captivating you. And so you can step back from your emotions and, you know, maybe why you love Tesla. You might have some irrational or blind love for Tesla. And you're not going to get over that just by reading a book about Tesla or by reading a balance sheet on Tesla. 
But if you go back and you read this book and you see how the markets reacted to those new technologies of the day, things like the railroad and how suckers got drawn in to nonsensical or fraudulent investments, then it makes it more impersonal to what you're living in today. And so hopefully you can glean some wisdom there that'll help you decide today what is a good investment versus what's just some you know fraudulent internet scam or bogus cryptocurrency. The other thing that I think really stands out in the book is things like insider information and trading on tips or trading on you know the news or the headlines. Watch how that works out and how most times I would say it doesn't work for Jesse. Whenever he tries to trade on an insider tip or something that he thinks is some valuable insider knowledge, well, he generally loses. And the big fat cats win. You know, whoever perpetrated the fraud, whoever came up with a pump and dump scheme, it works out for them, but it doesn't work out for Jesse. And I think, again, you can apply that to today and how I'm always telling you, ignore the headlines, ignore the news. You can't trade on these tips or this supposed insider information that you have because if it was truly insider information that was valuable, you wouldn't have it. And if you're just trying to trade on the headlines, well, you're trading on what everybody already knows. And it's the suckers that get drawn into that. The other really valuable lesson I think you can pull out of this book is that you'll see that the markets that Jesse's uh, trading in, they're, they're very volatile, probably much more volatile than we have today because the markets are much more sophisticated. And so the really good part about looking back and seeing how they operated 100 years ago is that you can see this extreme volatility and how it did create opportunities for Jesse to both make a fortune and to also lose a fortune very easily. And while we don't necessarily have the same amplitude that they had back then, we still have an immense amount of volatility. And I think what you can learn from that is what I think Jesse learns from this over as he matures and as you read the book, and I think he comes to the conclusion, or I certainly came to the conclusion from his interactions with the market and his trades, is that volatility isn't always explained. And as he watches the tape and he tries to understand the price volume action and he uses some of the things that we talk about, things like moving averages or trying to understand when to buy a stock when it's dropped by a certain percent or when to sell it when it's gotten up to a certain increase, I think you'll see that he comes to the conclusion later in that book that oftentimes markets are volatile simply because they're volatile. And that while there are some short-term, long-term, and intermittent-term uh, trends involved, and you can make money playing that momentum, unless you have a really good strategy you're sticking to, you could get burned because that trend can end suddenly or the volatility can shift immediately. And there may be no rational reason for why it shifts. Now, long-term, there may be a rational reason, but over the short-term, the market can simply move because the market moves. And if you've bet 100% of your money on a particular direction of the market because you have built an elaborate hypothesis on what's going to happen or because you have insider information that you know this is a sure thing or whatever reason you've drawn you know, your conclusions on, and you've put all your money into it because you're 100% confident that that's the way the market's going to go, well, you can see how these trades play out for Jesse and they're likely to play out the same way for you, is that you lose. You get too overconfident. And it doesn't matter what your insider information is or what your hot tip is or what hypothesis you came up with. Markets can be volatile and they can destroy you and they often move against your position. The other thing that I think is incredibly valuable and this didn't happen in my life until I became much more mature. And you can see 
with Jesse, it happens later in the book. And as you go on to study his life and the periods that take place after this book was written, you'll see that as Jesse matures, his strategies also mature to where he becomes much less reactionary. He's not trading on every tip. He's not trading on every move on the tape. He's not trading on every little bit of headlines or whatever news is, is coming off of the telegraph. And he becomes much more patient. And I think this lesson of patience is what, is what we can apply to our, our own lives where things are not going to happen instantaneously. You're not going to get rich quick overnight. And more often than not, you should do absolutely nothing. You shouldn't panic when it goes down and sell it, nor should you necessarily rush in to sell it just because it goes up 10 or 15% because you may be selling too quickly. It may go up 30%. The markets don't care what type of gain or loss you have in the position, and they're going to do what they're going to do. And so as you see Jesse Livermore kind of evolve and mature and go from being a speculative trader to more of an investor, and I would say in his case, he never really gets to a straight in investing mentality. He's, he's really all about trading on momentum and, and being a speculator. But as you see him start to mature in that direction, you'll see that he becomes much more introspective, and it's more about holding his position or doing nothing. He just waits and he waits patiently. And oftentimes he can make more money by doing nothing than he can by trying to get in and out. And I think that really is relevant today when people are trying to be day traders or trying to move in and out on every little move on Forex trading or on cryptocurrency trading. And after people lose all their money, they come to the conclusion that they would be better off being investors rather than being short-term speculators. And then I think that takes us to the biggest overlying theme and lesson you can, you can learn from the book. Besides the fact that nothing has changed in the markets, I think what you'll learn by reading this book is that in Jesse Livermore's days, the stock markets were rigged. There was a lot of insider trading. The fat cats always won and the little man always lost. I mean, pure and simple, the markets were rigged. And you know what? I think to a lot of degrees, you can look at that today and say nothing's changed. The markets are rigged, and they're rigged in favor of the rich and the powerful. And so, yes, the markets might be rigged against you, but they were rigged against Jesse Livermore. And he was still able to operate within that rigged system and literally make hundreds of millions of dollars. And so I think if a young, inexperienced Jesse Livermore could make hundreds of millions of dollars a hundred years ago, and someone of your intelligence and your experience and your wisdom and your maturity can at least be able to make millions of dollars in this market. But the key is it's not going to happen overnight. You need to focus on being a long-term investor and not a short-term speculator. And you need to be willing to put in the time and effort. And one step to putting in that time and effort is reading Reminiscence of a Stock Operator. Now, hey, I'll finish up with a quote from Jesse. Here's what he said. The game of speculation is the most uniformly fascinating game in the world, but it's not a game for the stupid, the mentally lazy, the person of inferior emotional balance, or the get-rich-quick adventurer. They will die poor. Well, there you have it. Think about that quote. Replay it in your mind. Think about it over and over. Jesse Livermore certainly knew what he was talking about. His life on Wall Street unfortunately reflected his personal life because while he had many successes and failures on Wall Street, he had the same up and down roller coaster in his personal life. He was divorced three times. He was an alcoholic. And at the age of 63, a broken and unhappy man, he committed suicide.